Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 212. Today is Sunday the 18th of September 2016 and I hope you're ready for a jolly podcast. This interview is with Henry Stewart, founder and CEO of the London-based training business called Happy Limited. Happy was rated as one of the top 20 workplaces in the UK for five successive years and now helps organizations create happy workplaces. In 2011, Henry was listed in the Guru Radar of the Thinkers 50 list of the most influential business thinkers in the world. Henry is also the author of the book, The Happy Manifesto. In this conversation, we discuss some of the key principles for making a workplace a happier space. What are the conditions for success? And we explore some of the specific cases. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host and author of The Mindset, that's M-Y-N-D-S-E-T dot com, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes to the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to the quick. Enjoy the show. Well, hello and welcome to the Minter Dialogue. Today, I have someone who I met at a conference in London. It was a wonderful conference. And um, Henry Stewart is a man after my own heart, if I should say. So, Henry, tell us who you are, what you do, and, as I like to ask, what's your mindset? <laughs> well, uh, I'm Henry. Uh, I founded a company called Happy. And what we do is uh, we help organizations create happy workplaces where people can uh, live positive lives and fulfill their potential. All right, so we're going to get in that, into that in a second, but what's your mindset then? <laughs> Uh, it's uh, it's happy. Yeah. I've got a pretty. I'd like to see the positive in things. Uh, but I'm always looking for for what's good. Um, I'm on, always uh, on lookout for the upside. All right. So even on this rainy, grumpy day that we have, how do you get through that? How does that? How do you make this happen? <laughs> well, I've just cycled it in the rain, which which uh, you know, it's uh, it isn't always the most fun experience, but that's fine. You know, you got, presumably got the endorphins running. I got the endorphins running going through the London traffic. Um, it's uh, a refreshing day. Right. So, um, Henry, we're we're in London, England, as we speak, and um, let's say that there could be people that say, "Well, we like to complain in London about the weather and things like this." How did you get into this business? <laughs> um, I well, there's a couple of answers to that. Um, one is I did consciously change my mindset mm. in my teenage years. Mm. So was, I, to begin with, you were, it was not quite the same? No, I, I noticed, uh, it was talking to, to girls, I noticed that if you were down or miserable, they, didn't, they weren't very interested, whereas if you were positive or upbeat, they were actually much more responsive. Um, so I actually deliberately changed my mindset to be positive and responsive, because on any issue, you can have a positive or negative reaction. Mm. Well, I, they also like, well, they... We all like a sense of humour too. Indeed, indeed. Um, and but consciously about happy, I was involved in a disastrous project. I um, helped set up a newspaper back in 1987. Um, it's we raised six and a half million pounds for a radical campaigning newspaper that was to change the the nature oh, wow. of British media, and we lost it all in six weeks. That is rather rapid. Yeah. We created a miserable environment with backbiting and endless meetings and things like this. And so I learned an awful lot there about how not to run a company. 
Mm. And in a way, what happy is the antidote to that. It mm. is the opposite of what happened there, and it's been a lot more successful as a result. All right. So tell us a little bit about your business and, and the types of clients you have. How do they come to you and say that basically, well, my brief is, we're unhappy, make us happy? Very rarely. <laughs> um, actually, one of the interesting things about creating happy workplaces is that unhappy workplaces very rarely come to you. They don't realise the issue. They don't realise the problem. Often a client comes to us and we go in and we think, what's the issue? You know, you're a great workplace. But they recognise the potential if they can become even happier. Yeah, so in a, in a sense, they, they're, they're like-minded. They come to you with the, the right predisposition. Absolutely. They, they, they come to sometimes it's uh, the only cases where we get unhappy workplaces is where it's a new chief exec. They've walked into a company and they know this needs to, to, to radically change. In so, that case, we can sometimes be dealing with you right. know, uh, that kind of thing. But in this case, you have a CEO who's sort of bought in on the mission. Oh, absolutely. That's rather important. Um, we do have some organisations where people are working from the bottom to create it with some success. But we love it when the chief exec comes to us and says, I want to change the culture uh, of, of my organisation, because then it's, it's easy. For the most part, the people who actually come to you and become the prescribers in, within the company, I would imagine it's mostly human resources, that kind of department that comes in, is that accurate, or, or is it other ones? Uh, no, it's often other ones. As I say, what we're looking, we don't target human resources, we target chief execs, because mm-hmm. they're the people who can, who can change. Mm-hmm. Our ideal... Uh, our ideal customer is a new chief exec who wants to make changes in the organisation. Mm-hmm. All right, give us an idea of how you go about that. I mean, without you know necessarily spilling the beans, but it, you know, what what are the what's the process? Do you go in? Do you have to do an audit, figure out what's going on? What do you do? I'm very happy to spill any beans. Um, uh, t- typically, yeah, we will we'll go in and we'll we'll do a staff survey. We'll walk around talking to people. We'll get a verdict on on what things are and. Um, then we'll talk with the uh, chief exec and directors uh, about what's needed. And normally one of the key things that needed is a major programme for the senior managers to chat about what culture change involves. Mm. Um, often there's some key structural changes needed. Um, uh, key game changes, for instance, are changing what managers do. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it's very clear, for instance, from research from Google, what the most important behaviours of managers are and i'll give you the top three they it's called project oxygen if you want to if you want to google it um but the top three number three is show interest in your people number two is empower don't micromanage and number one the single most important behavior of managers is to be a good coach Mm. now if you seriously take that on board for most uh, most companies that completely changes the nature of management and we've seen companies go to that change you know, because one of the questions I ask is, say you get in and you get a note on your desk from your manager saying, I want to see you at two o'clock. Do you feel excited? Mm-hmm. Okay. Or nervous. <laughs> Most people don't. But actually, if you've got a manager who's a coach and supports you, mm-hmm. which is how you, they will get the best out of you, you should feel, you should, you should be looking forward to that meeting. Right. That- well, there were some companies, what is there, I know one in particular, where if you're a senior executive... You are hired because you have the competencies to do what you're supposed to do and therefore don't need any coaching or, for example, outside consultancy. You have the skills. Do you, do you come across companies where the CEO's disposition says, well, I'm not interested in coaching myself because I hired the best team. The team doesn't need my coaching. Does that happen? Or, I mean, from a negative standpoint, it's more like, well, we're not going to give them any support. 
That would be a tough CEO to work with. Because <laughs> I've never come across anybody who wouldn't benefit from coaching. Mm. However great their skills are, the role of a coach is to enhance their skills and to bring those out. So, yes, sometimes we work in organisations where everything is blocked by the CEO. Um, there are some cultures where the idea of a coach in France in particular, for example, is considered uh, you must be weak. If you need a coach, <laughs> then that means you have a weakness to fill. Okay, well, that's why people like Andy Murray have coaches, is it? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's doing well. Listen, so, um, Henry, when we're looking at, at um, a company and we're doing we're on target, we're up 10%, that was our objective, things are going well, it would strike me that that's an, a good time to, to help foster, encourage, engrave what you're trying to do and create the happy environment. On the other hand, if, if we're down 5%, we were supposed to be up 5 the numbers are not good. It gets very quickly a very grumpy type of environment. Which is the better, in, which is the better time, in your mind, to instill a happy time? Well, the easier time for us is the up 10%, because uh, the, the company's open, the company's receptive. Um, with the down 5%, it's absolute, absolutely vital. Uh, I mean, it's interesting. If I, if I look for a moment at in, insights, uh, communication styles, mm-hmm. um, there's, it has, there's four uh, personalities. One of them is creative, um, the, uh, the, the yellow creative style. Mm-hmm. Um, and what... Interesting, if you look at people when they're relaxed and people when they're under pressure, and you kind of... We, I work with groups where people go to different corners of the room, right. and when you ask them what they're like under pressure, suddenly the creative space evaporates. Mm-hmm. There's often no one there at all. Mm-hmm. And actually, at those difficult moments, it's just when you need some creativity. Mm-hmm. So yesterday I was working with GPs, and one of them came up with a great example that they'd taken over a really dysfunctional practice, there was, uh, they really needed change, but everyone was under huge pressure. So they deliberately created the space for the yellows, the creatives, mm-hmm. to, to, to change things. Mm-hmm. Create a space which in most practices just wouldn't be there. And the person said, yeah, I'm not creative, I'm fine, I, I don't need that time. But we create that space, and these are the ten things they did for the organisation mm-hmm. that made it different. So it can be tougher if you're under pressure, but you've got to get in there and create that space and make the difference, because that's when it's really needed. It strikes me that in, in these times when it's difficult there first of all there's no budget for this kind of a thing second of all we don't have time for it we don't we can't make the number this week that kind of a feeling goes around which makes creating a longer term more less roi immediately available uh difficult to implement is that something how do you overcome that now what what advice do you have to a ceo who's struggling to make daily numbers if you know not, i'm not saying going out of business but someone who's going uphill in terms of the numbers how do you encourage them to carve out the time and the money to do some program like this in difficult times well it's the old story of the uh, person sawing a tree in the wood with a with a blunt saw and somebody comes along and says hey if you sharpen that saw it'll be quicker and the guy says i haven't got time i haven't got time for that <laughs> you know and that that's that's uh is making that case that actually if you really want to get out of difficulties you don't carry on doing the same thing you've yeah. always done right. otherwise you get what you've always got exactly so you actually it's, it's you actually have to create that space you have to create that that room for creativity you have to create that room for change um and it's even more vital if it feels like you can't possibly find the time so henry uh, you are a happy man uh working a happy company uh, is happiness a value or fun a value that a, a value 
that a company can have? What do you think? Uh, absolutely. Um, and some of the best companies around uh, focus on creating happy workplaces. Um, I was on the panel recently with uh, the chair of one of Britain's biggest retail companies, 90,000 strong. And when I asked the audience uh, to put their hand up, if their management was focused on creating happy workplaces, his went straight up. Um, mm. uh, you can probably guess which company it is. It's mm. John Lewis. Yeah. Um, and he explained how at their last board meeting they spent 20 minutes uh, discussing the numbers and three hours discussing how to motivate and value people. Because when Speed and Lewis set up John Lewis in the 1930s as a workers' cooperative, he made the core of the constitution that every decision be based on the happiness of its staff. They also have a, a particular situation in terms of the ownership because the employees are part owners. Is that not right? That is absolutely right. And that, that builds an extra component of loyalty. And so they all share a bonus at the end of each year, which is often 20% of salary. Um, but th- that's great, but you can still go for the happy value right without that well, well actually what i was getting to was that if you're shareholders yeah because you also have to speak to them you make a bunch of happy people you know you need to invest in a couple more billiards tables you know more foosball um whatever nice environment happy people do some training off-site chateau wine the shareholders typically look at that with a very different eye okay but let, let's be clear that actually we talk about uh management focus on making people feel good and actually, it's not about the foosball and the billiard tables. Mm-hmm. They're the trivial stuff. They're sure. nice to have. Yeah, right. But I've seen places with those where they have lousy environments because the way managers treat their people. Mm. So actually, what people hate isn't a lack of foosball. It's being micromanaged and mm. told what to do and blame cultures. How, what you, what you, so what you actually do to create a happy environment is give people real ownership, real control over the job, freedom within guidelines, and create uh, a no-blame culture. We talk about celebrating mistakes. Imagine that every time you got something wrong, you could celebrate it. I guess that would make you happier than you... Uh, happier. Well, uh, in one of your interviews, uh, I was on the BBC, I saw that you said in some recent survey um, in the UK... 49% of UK personnel would take a pay cut to get a better manager. Absolutely. That was a survey by the Chartered Management Institute. And I think some people will identify with that. Um, so let's say at Happy, somebody comes to us and says, I love my job, I love the people I work with, but I can't stand my manager. Now, that's uh, most people have seen that happen. And what generally happens is the person leaves. A Happy, we say takes a few minutes to resolve because all we're saying is who would you like instead because mm. we believe you should be able to choose your manager you need a, a very evolved enlightened ceo to be doing that well uh, uh maybe but we've got uh, one major public sector organization at the moment where they've experimented with it in one department it's working well they're now spreading into other departments now this is a traditional hierarchical organization with uh you know uh, and uh, they just seen that it works. Let's spread it. That's brilliant. Well, um, I was going to get back to the fun idea of values because in my past, to push back a bit, I don't believe it's a good value to have, um, or at least not one to write on your doorstep. Mm-hmm. And I think of Amazon in particular, which has it as one of its three values, fun. I, I don't know about you, but uh, the people I know working there oftentimes don't look to be the happiest people. And uh, they're, they're hard there's, it's a very hard environment working. I mean, they're obviously really qualified people, some of the best, who are working for Amazon, but it's a tough environment. 
you know, razor-thin margins. As, as it is, they still haven't published any or really given any profits to their shareholders. So this notion of fun is difficult to have when you're having to cut budgets all the time. The fact that some companies don't live their values is not a reason for not having them. Um, and yet, happy has been through tough times. Mm-hmm. You know, we've been here 25 years. Sure. Um, but it's in the toughest times that the culture really tells. And it's in those tough times that, yeah, it's been hard to think of it as fun, but, it's, uh, but you maintain the ownership, you maintain the involvement. There's one, there's one point in time where uh, we weren't doing well. I remember I was out of the office for a few days, and somebody went to our finance person and said, how much is in the bank? And she told them, and they said, oh, because we've got an open, transparent culture. And uh, she said, oh, how much is in the bank three months ago? And she told them, and she said, oh, that's not good. And she, by the time I'd got back in, three days later, she'd, she'd rallied around everyone, they'd come up, they'd had problem-solving sessions, they'd already cut uh, tens of thousands out of the annual budget, and I didn't have to do anything, because mm. we had people who were really involved and really wanted to make the, make the company work. Well, they take responsibility. Yeah, they take responsibility. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, in the end of the day, what it really obviously points to is it's not about another foosball table. It's even not about the um, team bonding event where you go parachuting or something like this. It's just about the daily interaction, the ability to learn from the people, feel good and come out with a positive energy at the end of the day. Yeah, and fundamentally, it's do you feel in control of your job? Do you have, whenever you want to do something new, to go through three levels of approval and have the manager give you a completely different solution at the end of it? Or can you say, hey, I need to change this. I'll change it. Mm -hmm. Um, This is how I want to do it today. Um, Are you, do you feel real ownership of your job? That's the fundamental thing which gives people real purpose and satisfaction. Well, it's funny because the little voice in my head, Henry, says, well, if I'm in control, everything is sort of predictable. Sometimes there's a notion of the uh, spontaneous uh, activity. I mean, you can suppose you can be in control of your spontaneity. But if, if you don't sometimes have a boss, for example, who commands you to do two seconds faster on your 800-meter run or something like this, to push you beyond what you're capable of doing, sometimes when you give yourself your own objectives, sometimes you can understate your ability to go further. That is entire experience. Let, let me give you an example from uh, one of our clients, uh, a little company from Cheltenham called GCHQ, um, where the director of IT uh, explained that he'd read my book, The Happy Manifesto, and there was this bit about people setting their own targets. <clears throat> now, they had a situation where to take out a laptop um, t- took two weeks, right? Because there's big security issues. So right, if you want The GCHQ, just to be, this is basically a secret police. What is it? it it's the secret communications centre of, of, of Britain. It's right. a government, government body. Anyway, so um, t- if you wanted to, you know, go on a trip and take out a laptop, it would take two weeks. So the, the directors thought, well, this doesn't make sense. I've got to make it shorter. Um, so he thought if he'd set the target, he'd set one day. That would be a big improvement. But instead he said, OK, I'll, I'll try this out. I'll ask people to set their own target. Guess what they said? An hour. Five minutes. <sighs> then they achieve the five minutes and they reset it to three minutes. They achieve the three minutes and it's now one minute mm. to take out a laptop. And it's way beyond anything you would have set. Yeah. Um, right, so when we're going into a company, uh, you, 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 you get someone says, I, I need to be, we need to take your services. What are the conditions that you observe for making your program successful? What are the key conditions without which, in a sense, you won't 
you'll you'll uh, won't be able to achieve what you're trying to do. Um, that the, that the people at the top get it. That's the key thing. If if it's actually just a superficial thing, and they're going to carry on telling people what to do and running it in a hierarchical blame way, then it's not going to work. Um, where so. I always try and get, even if I've been brought in, which I am sometimes by the HR people, mm. I always try and make sure I talk to the senior directors and find out if they get it. Because uh, if they don't, it's going to be a big challenge. All right, so that's one. The, they make sure that the senior leaders are getting it. What other conditions do you see as necessary to make it happen? Well, that's the main thing. If, the main they're, thing. if they're up for it, if they're... You don't generally get objections further down to to, people, to people, the idea that of giving people more say over their job, giving right. people more power, right. of getting rid of blame. Um, yeah. You don't find the frontline staff rejecting the idea right. that they should have, have more say. Mm. Um, so it's... Yeah, that's, that's the main thing. Right, when, when you look at the culture of a company and you're doing your audit, to what extent... Do you look at things like what's said and what is done? <laughs> you know, the gap between, well, I, I, I sent the email and no one opened it. That, that, the issues around communication and, and responsi- or accountability to what is being asked. Um, <laughs> there's often, yeah, obviously there's very often a difference between what uh, senior folks say. Uh, or, or even mi- middle folks, say, right. and and the reality and, and parents pa- and yes, yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And part of the, our role is is to speak some truth to them to say, actually, yeah, you think you're running this organisation like this. This is what your your peers. This is what your staff say. You know, this uh, if you put out before them, it can be a shock. Um, depending on how well they they know the organisation, just like those big shocks you see on the TV when the senior when the director goes on the shop floor, you know it's they clearly have had no idea what what life is like for their for their own people. So sometimes you have to make people aware of what it's really like. In today's very techy connected world. Do you see the, the the problems being bigger than they were in the past in terms of people's ability to be happy? Or do you feel them, au contraire, more in touch with lots of people, um, happier, or you know, there's a, me- a better set of tools to be happier, or do they feel generally more overwhelmed? And if it's the latter, they're more overwhelmed, what to do about it? I think the, oppor- the, the situation is far better that it was. I mean, imagine being in the Ford plant in the 30s where, you know, you could actually be sacked for, for laughing, um, where the, the view was, you know, uh, it's, it's, you do your job and that's it. There was no sense of, of personal motivation. Now, you know, we've had the great workplace list now for 20, 25 years. So many companies get it. Uh, some of them just want to be in the list. Some of them recognise that actually they want to be in the list because it will make them more productive. Um, so the, the, the environment is open. The fact that we're all connected means it's very easy to show uh, that other companies are doing really well by doing this. So on that, on that list of uh, great places to work, I, I've tended to have a somewhat cynical view of it. Um, do you feel it's a, a, a well-run, proper um, type of survey about what actually is happening in the company? Yeah, I mean, 70% of that score is based purely on what the staff say. 
Um, there's then thirty percent based on uh, you know, looking at the at whether it's backed up by by the company structures and all these kind of things. So yes, maybe it's, you may occasionally get a, a maverick in there that didn't deserve to be there, but generally mm. there's some fantastic companies in that list. And um, the research shows. I mean, there's a guy called Alex Edmonds at Wharton Business School did research into how those companies do, and he found that over 25 years, if you'd invested in the listed companies in the great place to work, um, and uh, as opposed to the standard stock market, and say you'd invested a pension fund in the standard stock market, you'd ended up with $100,000 at the end of that 25 years. If you'd invested in the great places to work, you'd have ended up with $231,000. That's a hell of a financial difference that happy workplaces make. Well, that's a great point, that it, it, it does provide a return on the investment. Um, what about time? I mean, the notion of being on time, to what extent that's relevant uh, in, in a happiness environment? Do you think this is completely off-subject, or do you think it's important? Depends what the job is. It's, for our trainers, it's quite important to be there on time. Yeah, for to, you and your company, for sure. <laughs> to start, to start the, the course at uh, whatever time it starts. Yeah. Um, but if we're talking about, you're talking about staff? Well, no, you know, the way things work in a company, you know, meetings and people come on time or don't, and... You, we're obviously in a day we set up an agenda and we have times where we have a, te- a telephone call or we have uh, someone we're meeting and, and the I would call it the accountability with regard to time is that an important part of happiness or not? Um, we don't prescribe on that but what we do do is uh, one of the key things we started to look at is how to be productive not just busy because mm-hmm. one of the barriers to implementing the things we teach is that people go away from our, our training and they, they don't have time because they've got too many emails and they've got too many meetings and they've got too many other things. So what we've realised is we've got to really help people tackle becoming productive and stopping wasting time. Um, now, that in some that maybe meetings start absolutely on time. That a bit depends on the culture of, of the company. But there's, none, there's a deeper thing about are you sunk in your emails are the meetings where uh, uh, productive, focused, and coming up with, with with clear results? Would the people attending the meetings rate them well? Mm-hmm. You know, we've started working with somebody on developing an app where you get to rate your meetings, so you see how good they were. The Uber, the Uber of meetings, um, or at least you know the, the that sort of uh, concept of of rating everybody. We, you've talked about productivity. We've talked about um, being in control of what you do. A lot of things which are really in a business mind. That's what we want in our business. Yet your company is about happiness. I mean, yeah. I do that obviously to a little bit to, to provoke. But in the end of the day, you've been talking a lot about the professional uh, and, and necessary business things, levers to build the business. But when we're talking about happiness, I can, my, my, my pre-thought is it's got to be about personal happiness. To what extent is this a personal story? And, and do you need to get down into your own you know, instincts and guts to, in, to be there? Or can you leave it, your personal side, aside in order to, to achieve what you're trying to do? Okay, there's two whole areas. One is uh, personal happiness, which is working on your, how happy you are regardless of the environment you're in. Mm. And the other is, is workplace happiness, how you create an environment with the potential for people to be happy. We work on the latter mainly. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't, uh, the, the, the former, there's some great people like Action for Happiness in the UK helping people. There's some simple steps everyone can take to, to be happier where, wherever they are. But our focus is how do you create environments that, instead of being dysfunctional and actually preventing people doing well, 
uh, actually enable it. Like many, some years ago, we won the award for the best customer service in the UK. Hmm. And we asked the judges, why did we win it? And they said, well, you really understand what, custom, what your customers want. But then they said, but that's not unusual. Most companies understand what their customers want. But then they put in place lots of processes and procedures that stop their staff delivering what their mm. customers want. So in some ways, we're about sweeping away those things so that people can actually deliver mm. what the customers want. Yeah, a lot of companies that say we want to be customer-centric, but, I mean, everyone says they want yeah. to be customer-centric. Last question for you, Henry. When you are looking at a company, we're talking about the conditions before, to what extent is it important that a company have a purpose, or let's say a higher purpose anyway, or a mission in, in the achievement of this sort of happy culture? Um, so do you mean an overall mission in the, of what the company is yeah, about? that's right. Um, uh, it's one of the things we'll try to work with companies on, absolutely. Uh, if you have a... Uh, you, uh, a key element to being happy is feeling you've got a mission and a purpose. Mm. Um, we worked with, with one company, um, and, and the person we worked with delegated somebody to make people happy. So they brought in hula hoops and games and made people have fun. Um, and they mentioned happiness before and happiness afterwards. And the happiness went down. Because actually it's not about making people have fun, it's not about the trivial stuff. And then in, so instead they actually started talking to people about whether they were fulfilling their purpose whether working here um, was a mission for them. And some people left. Some people said, no, actually, yeah, it does mm. nothing for me. Mm. Other people moved jobs. But what they're now doing is they're working. Their aim is to be as happy as Denmark, which is uh, famously the happiest country in the world. And they're on the way by getting people to really be in touch with, with a mission on purpose. Well, I, 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 I tend to subscribe to that. I've noticed uh, even the room that we're in, I think it's called Purpose or something. So I, I love that. I, obviously, you, you live and breathe that. I think in, inevitably, though, as you were just mentioning, it does become a little bit more personal. Yeah. Because if you want to be in that kind of an environment, you need to make sure that the purpose and the mission resonates with who you are and what you're about. Absolutely. You know, I couldn't work at somewhere like British American Tobacco because the purpose would absolutely not fit my ethos. Mm. I, there's, also, there's a whole range of companies like, like that. So, yes, it is different for different people. Some people can be... Yeah, you, it, it, is, it is a personal thing. Mm. And happiness is a personal thing. Yeah, ultimately. Um, one thing that people managed to often ask me is, how, what do I do to make my people happy? And my general response is, ask them. Because <laughs> it's going to be different for every person. One of the uh, principles in our society is treat everybody as you... Treat other people as you would like to be treated. And I often ask, is that a good basis for management? Because the answer is no. I am very good at managing people like me outgoing extroverts creative people give me an analytical you know type and i don't really don't get them that's why i don't manage people that are happy mm-hmm. um the principle for management uh, is actually treat people as they want to be treated so the best managers understand that each of the people they manage is different and they manage them in different ways wonderful words to close on henry so uh, how could someone get in touch with you or or find out more about your company Okay, come to, uh, we've got two websites. One is happy.co.uk and the other is happymanifesto.co.uk where you can download a free copy of my book, The Happy Manifesto on how to create happy workplaces. I'd love to hear from you. Well, Henry, thanks for coming to the show. It's been a happy moment, despite all the rain. Thanks for it. <laughs> Especially with the rain. It was great. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com. That's mindset with a Y. 
where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at forward slash subscribe. If you like the show, please do rate it in iTunes. That really makes my day. Happy trails and enjoy Josh Sachs's Painted Fingers. Oh, fill me with all your colors any different way to rid me of the gray. of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar Series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. 
The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast. 